You may have noticed when you came into church today that things looked a little bit different. That's because in the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, we mark the beginning of that season called pre-Lent. As you know, there are, of course, 40 days to Lent, and in Latin, that season is called quadragesima, which is just the fancy word for 40. Incidentally, the word Lent in English doesn't have much to do with spirituality or numbers at all. It's just the old English word for spring. Those 40 days represent the 40 days our Lord spent fasting in the wild, but also the 40 years that the chosen people wandered around during the Exodus. The journey to the Promised Land through the Red Sea is a foreshadowing of our Christian journey to heaven that starts through the waters of baptism at the great Paschal Vigil. The early Christians celebrated the 40 days before Easter with an intense period of prayer and fasting. But they even marked out the 70 days before Easter as well with a period to prepare for Lent called Septuagesima, after the Latin word for 70. Now, I know that some of you are big math people, right? And so, you're going to sit there and go to your calendar, and you're going to start, you know, going one by one through the days, and you're going to say, but Father, wait, hold up, that's not actually 70 days. Well, remember that the church kind of rounds up, okay? But if you count the eight days of the Easter octave as well, you still actually get 70. So, there we go. There are three Sundays in pre-Lent, Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima. 70, 60, 50. Okay? The whole season can be called Septuagesima Tide. Okay? Now, you may think, okay, so who cares? Like, why all this, you know, worry about 70 and 40 and all these numbers? Is it really that important? Well, just as the 40-year exodus of the Israelites is mirrored by Lent, so the 70 years that the Israelites were held captive in Babylon are represented by the 70 days. There was an 11th century English monk, Elfric, who writes, in Septuagesima, we humiliate ourselves willingly for our sins, just as the Hebrew people was humiliated unwillingly for 70 years, serving the king of Babylon without joy or happiness or the voice of the bridegroom and bride. The idea is that these weeks are kind of a doorway into Lent. Pope St. Gregory the Great, who institutionalized the season in the Roman Rite in the fifth century, wrote that the season is a call to conversion, like the call of the householder in Matthew chapter 20. The householder, therefore, in the morning early, at the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh hour, hires laborers to till his vineyard. Because from the beginning of the world until the end, he ceases not to gather preachers to instruct the multitude of the faithful. From the morning of the world was from Adam to Noah. 
the third hour from Noah to Abraham, the sixth hour from Abraham to Moses, the ninth hour from Moses to the coming of the Lord, the eleventh from the Lord's coming until the end of the world. You and I are living in that eleventh hour, and the church calls us to profound conversion. Now, you don't see it so much necessarily among Catholics, but sometimes some of our evangelical Christian brothers and sisters get very um, riled up about the end times, right? I still remember as a child listening to these sermons where the preachers were trying to figure out every single day on the timeline of events of the book of Revelation, right? And in some Catholic centers, right, sometimes people get very wrapped around the axle about kind of doomsday prophecies and end-of-the-world stuff, right? And so sometimes they come up to me, and they're very exercised about all of this. And they're like, but, but Father, you know, there's this prophecy and that and the other thing, and, and you know, all these things happening in the world, and the Bible is fulfilling. Are you, are you worried about this? And I just kind of look at them, and I'm like, nope, not really, they're scandalized. I'm like, do you pray the Our Father? Well, of course, Father. I'm a good Catholic. Of course I pray the Our Father. Thy kingdom come. And I don't know about you, but for me, Jesus cannot come soon enough. Right? Don't pray it if you don't mean it. Right? We're living in the end times. And praise God for that. But I want you to think about what it means to live in the eleventh hour. Think about the people of Israel. After their 70 years in the Babylonian captivity, they had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten their own sacred history. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They didn't know the story of how God had saved them from the bondage of the Egyptians. They couldn't see anymore what the Lord was doing in their lives, even in that moment of captivity. I mean, they were practically, as far as their faith went, illiterate. So when they returned to the land that had been promised to them before their idolatry and sin ruined it to them, they didn't know anything about it. And the priest Ezra, who didn't know anything either, right, comes across the scrolls of the law. And so he starts reading them out loud to everyone. And Nehemiah tells us, all the people, their, ra their hands raised high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground. Are we really that much different nowadays? We have a spiritual forgetfulness that has taken over our world. I do wonder sometimes if I went to a street corner somewhere in downtown Greenville and started to read the Bible out loud from Genesis to the Apocalypse, right, what would happen? Right? 
would people be like, oh, that's another one of these crazy religious zealots around here that we have all in Greenville? Not that there's any of those around, right? Or he's just crazy or mad. Or would they have the same experience that the Israelites did? By responding to the power of the Word of God with an act of worship, falling down on their faces in prayer and adoration. We live in a time in which even Christians have forgotten the divinely revealed precepts of the moral law, when we are forgetful of our sacred history, when we have forgotten who we are in Christ Jesus. The story of how God has worked wonders to save us from our sins, and even in the Babylonian captivity that is this world in this valley of tears, He continues to be powerful and to act in our lives if we just get out of the way to let Him do His thing, right? And so the church is a very wise mother and a very shrewd psychologist. She knows how we can lapse into this spiritual amnesia, and so she calls us at this time to deep conversion. Pope Paul VI would say that the three Sundays of pre-Lent are like the bells that summon the faithful to church at various intervals before Mass. The church summons us little by little to withdraw from the ordinary workaday world to enter into the desert of Lent. So that by the time Ash Wednesday rolls around, we enter through the threshold of the 40 days and are ready to engage in the spiritual combat of Lent. There are so many people out there for whom they want Christianity to be only a consoling message that tells people what they want to hear, but that is not what the Word of God says. The Word of God reminds us that the Christian life is a spiritual combat when we are called to cast aside the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. This life is a spiritual combat, and Lent is its training ground. But you've got to be recruited for that spiritual battle, and that's what the season of Septuagesima is all about. Now, of course, as you know, in the ordinary form, Septuagesima, after 14 centuries, was kind of just struck out by the liturgical reform, okay? Now we just kind of parachute into Lent on Ash Wednesday, kind of like plunging into a cold pool instead of easing into it. But either way, whether we celebrate Septuagesima as a specific liturgical commemoration or not, then it's time for us to begin to think about Lent so that we're not scrambling around at the last minute. I know it's very easy to do, right? You know, you're just going on, you're living life, you're doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, wait, where are all these people with ashes on their forehead running around? Oh my gosh, it's Ash Wednesday, I totally forgot, right? As a family of faith, we don't want to get to that point, right? We want to live liturgically and to live our spiritual lives. So these moments that are given to us by the church, it's time to take advantage of them. The great fast of Lent is an opportunity 
to put your spiritual house in order by engaging the disciplines of prayer, penance, and almsgiving. Now, sometimes people hear about all of these disciplines and they're like, there go the Catholics again, right? There they go trying to earn their way into heaven, right? But that's not how this works, right? Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. What these spiritual disciplines do is that they till the soil of the heart to be able to receive those gifts because we begin to experience the hunger and thirst for righteousness which comes with them. We begin to realize our absolute dependence on the Lord by them. Now, there are some disciplines like fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday and abstinence from flesh meat on Fridays, which are common to all of us. But apart from that, the church trusts in the generosity of her children in taking up serious penances that are in accord with their state in life, right? You know, all too often in this soft modern age, we look at it as kind of like another form of New Year's resolutions, right? So, so what were you saying at December 31st at midnight? You know, what was it that you're going to do? Do you even remember, right? I know I don't, right? We kind of look at it like that, right? So, well, this is the time where I can just become a better me, right? Or the church kind of programs in a little diet regime, right, because I feasted a little bit too much during Christmas, right? But if that's the way you go into Lent, it's not going to go very well, at least not for a long period of time, right? I want you to think about what Lent really is. There's a hymn that we sing during Lent, which uh, is not very well known in this country, but I love it, and so we do it here. You know, now is the healing time decreed. Lent is not an endurance competition, right? It's a time for us to receive the gift of healing from the Lord, from the wounds of the sins of our past. And so then being renewed and restored through that journey of Lent, then we can truly taste the joy of resurrection glory. The healing time of Lent is meant to put us on the path to reconciliation with God and with each other. Now, if you've been around Principes for a while, you know that every year for the Tempi Forti, the strong times, as we say in Latin, of Advent and Lent, I usually propose spiritual reading. In Advent, I proposed a book called The Culture of God by the Anglican Bishop Nadim Nassar, which explored how the cultural world of our Lord is an important key to understanding the definitive revelation of God that comes in the incarnate Word. We continue that theme of letting the physical place where our Lord was born, lived, died, and rose from the dead, this Lent with a book called Blood Brothers by Melkite Catholic Archbishop Elias Shakur. Since reconciliation, peace, and forgiveness 
are central themes to our Lenten journey, this bishop's spiritual journey in Palestine in the midst of a war that is quite current today has a lot to say to us. Our minds turn towards Bethlehem in Advent and Christmas and Jerusalem in Lent and Easter. Listening to the witness of Christians who live in these places now is a needed corrective to the way we often get caught up in our own time and place. And so I encourage you to read both books if you haven't already done so. Because let's get real. It is very easy for us to be totally subsumed right, with our little world and our problems, right? We get bogged down with all of the drama around us, a lot of which we've created, right? And so we can't see outside of that, right? And again, we all do this, right? And so some of us more than others. I'm one of the more than others, right? You know, this morning is a perfect example, right? I woke up this morning like I do every Sunday, all super excited about to celebrate the Lord's Day, and my mind is racing all over the place. I've got all these masses. I've got all these things to do. You know, I have to, you know, make some sense of the sermon, right? Um, Thinking about things going on in the diocese and in the church and in the world, all these things kind of in my head. And all that came to a crashing end. I got a message from the Bishop of Istanbul Right, you know that our parish has a special relationship with the church that is in Turkey. And this morning, you know, as we were preparing to get up and to go to Mass, you know, there were people who were coming to Mass in the church of Santa Maria in Biyukdere, which is in the area right outside of Istanbul. I know the pastor. I've known the parish very well. And at the consecration of the Mass, two gunmen came in and shot the church up, and one person died. So that changed my Sunday, I'll tell you what, right? It is a reminder that we know neither the day nor the hour, right? We may be called to account not for the passing drama of whatever is distracting you from the real, right? but of how we are allowing ourselves to be prophets of peace and reconciliation now. It is vitally important that the blood of the martyrs, which was called down this morning at the time of the calling down of the blood of Christ upon the altar, be an inspiration to us to get our house in order. And that goes for me as well as all of us who are praying at Mass today. God has given us this time Let's use it wisely by making a real preparation, not just for Lent, but for glory. 